This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? Andrew, middle name Mason. Jason Michael Charns. Tell me your middle name. It is seven in the morning, my friend. It's too early for middle names. When me and your mom, Mrs. Mason, finally chat one day, I'm going to get the middle name. Yep, you will. You'll probably get more than that, but... I'm so excited. You're never going to beat my mother. I don't understand. I'm willing to sacrifice Christmas with my family to go home with you to North Carolina. Wow. That's pretty wild. This is important to me. I should understand it. Okay. I understand now. I didn't understand the gravity before. You'll have to look Shannon in the eyes and tell her why. No, see, I won't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Let me explain to your baby daughter why daddy's not home for Christmas. She just yells no at me right now. That's like the word she's learned. So like I used to get off work and they'd be like, daddy. And the other day I like went into the playroom. I was like, Lennon. She was like, no. And I was like, see ya. So <laughs> Chris isn't here. He will be. You think? I think that he must be. Sports Surely. betting is really popular in Tennessee right now. And so we should have a bet on when Chris joins and if Chris joins. Chris will join in the next 10 minutes. The problem Um, is, though, Paul edits out like blank space. Right, right. We'll know. All right. In U.S. Central Time, it is 9.13 a.m. So if Chris hasn't joined by 9.23 a.m. Central Time. We will land back on Twitter. You're going to text me your mom's number so I can chat. Deal. I can get your middle name. All right. Deal. Deal. Yep. All right. Ready. So today on Remote Ruby, we want to talk about the Rails Foundation, the new initiative. We've got a conference to talk about. There's things in the work about improving documentation, things like that. And what better person to chat about that with than Amanda Perino from the Rails Foundation. So thanks for coming to chat with us on Remote Ruby. Yeah, thank you both for having me. And Chris, when he eventually gets here. We'll be here. He's got now my minutes. life depends on it. Well, why don't we start with maybe how you got involved with the Rails Foundation? And maybe if you want to share maybe some of your background leading up to that, you're welcome to hear that as well. Yeah, sure. So American born, based in Amsterdam now. And for the past handful dozen years, I've been working in marketing in various roles whether that's communications or event marketing or event management, social media. And my previous role was at HashiCorp on the events team, producing HashiConf. I don't know if you know that, but it's quite a good event, if I do say so myself. And then while I was working for HashiCorp, so it's a non-technical role for a very tech-oriented company. And I always felt this gap where I didn't really understand what the developers that we were making these events for were doing in their day-to-day world. So I decided last year to take bootcamp. And the bootcamp just so happened to teach Rails. And that's how I kind of got introduced to the Rails community. That's not completely true because I have some friends, some really close friends who are members of the community for a long time now. So I'd heard about it. But I really didn't choose the bootcamp based on that. I just chose a bootcamp and they happened to teach Rails. So then towards the end of the six months, because I was following Rails sources, I saw that the Rails Foundation was started. And documentation was one of the things I was really struggling with from like day one. Not just the logic of learning coding when you don't have a coding background, 
but documentation specifically, like learning a different way to speak English is what it is basically. So then I think I just gave it the thumbs up and I was like, yeah, somebody fixed the documentation. And then I just went about my merry way. And then towards the end, I didn't really read that they were looking for an executive director towards the end when the job description came out. And when I clicked on it and I saw like what it entailed, I thought, okay, this is basically my work history in a new role for Rails. So that's why I applied. It's so cool to hear that some of the things they're looking to improve are things you actually struggled with. That couldn't be a more like perfect fit in that regard. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. That's so cool that you were like, I want to understand this better. So I'm going to take a boot camp. Not a lot of people are going to do that. I really like learning things. And as an American based in the Netherlands, that's mostly Dutch that I was trying to learn. But I hit a plateau. It's a weird way that this came about. I hit a plateau last year with Dutch. I've been here for 17 years now and don't feel like I'm getting any better. So I decided to stop and completely switch to something else. And I switched to coding and Italian, actually, just to see like, am I dumb at languages or am I (laughs) dumb at Dutch at a certain point? And I think I hit a wall with Dutch and that's all it was. How many languages can you speak? One, well, English. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can make myself known in Dutch and I'm really trying with Italian. So that's cool. I'm curious, like what attracted you to the role outside of what you spoke about with your background? It spoke to me on so many levels and the things that I don't have work experience with, like the documentation project is what I'm calling it. I don't have experience heading up a project like that, but the thought of it, I've put a lot of thought into it in these past two months. What would that look like? What does it entail? Who do we need to like build this team? That excited me. And also the education component, which... It's a little bit less fleshed out what that entails. But those two things that I have a little less experience with, I think, were the most appealing. I've done events. We'll produce Rails World in October. As exciting as events are, there's nothing new and challenging for me. So I think those aspects, the things I haven't done yet, I just really want to sink my teeth into and do well. That's awesome. So maybe we can start with the documentation piece of it. It's okay if these things aren't necessarily like ironed out. But maybe kind of what are some of your thoughts for improving documentation? Like, even if they're baby steps, what kind of direction are you thinking about taking? At first, I thought it was really going to be quite superficial, like a little bit of copy editing, a little bit making the language slightly friendlier, making sure that the website looked consistent when you go across it. So when you go from guides to API to whatever, it's the landing page, for instance. It's really a different experience every time the navigation changes. And like these are small things we can improve that'll make the UX better. So I was thinking it would be like little things like this. But I have to give credit to React.dev. That whole team, when they launched it, I kind of looked and I thought, okay, you just went through this. So let me reach out and see like what you went through. And I sent a message to Dan Abramov, who led the whole thing. It's silly now, but I was like, did you happen to document the process of documentation that you just did? And he was like, absolutely not. And I have no plans to, but I will get on a call with you and kind of brain dump what we went through. So he did that. And I asked all my questions and I started to realize that I'm happy to take my time with this and figure out, okay, what kind of team that we need? What steps do we need to go through? What is it going to look like? And with the end goal in mind, with that landing page, when you get to the doc side of things, will look like and then build it back from there. So that's kind of the route that it took, my thinking so far. Yeah, React.dev is a perfect example. 
So if you're listening and you hate React even, go check out react.dev because it's such a good example of the old React site, for example. It had some good documentation, but it was kind of like littered throughout and kind of hit or miss. Plus to like, you get some examples of old class-based React and some functional React. This new react.dev site is tutorials and reference. It's solid. It's a really good example. And I think it's so cool that you reached out to Dan and that he was so willing just to, like like you said, brain dump with you. That's awesome. I thought so too. Like super cool that he was willing to find the time to help another framework out. And also he was really frank with his experience there. They thought it was going to be a two-month project and it took two years. So And like everything that wow. entailed like all the times that he kind of had to backtrack and say, okay, this was the wrong route and I'm not going to go live with this. So we're going to take a step back. Oh, yes. oh man. One, one, one yes. minute to oh, spare. Thank Christ, Chris. Thank God. Oh my gosh, dude. Like less than 30 seconds. What's Andrew, going on? Andrew, if you don't believe in a higher power, you better now. Holy crap. That's too perfect. Because <laughs> I bet it on you, dog. Uh, you bet a lot. You were betting on when I was joining. Yeah, you were thirty seconds away from me getting Andrew's mom's number to find out his middle name. Well, oh, I can I should, log out real quick. I should have texted you. <laughs> oh, I should have rigged. Nah, you. nah, oh. that was blind faith. He said that he would be here in ten to fifteen minutes, and I took that. And I was like, Chris you took will the be under. Here. You took the under. Yep. <laughs> oh. so I'm going well, to the casino. Funny. I'm going to the casino out back after this. Bro, I watched you throw $20 away at roulette in Vegas. That's true. And they asked for um, an ID. They, did, they right. did ask. I've never seen anyone at an actual table ask for an ID. Oh. Okay. Okay. Focus here. The good news is that we never made another side of the bet where I don't owe you anything. So really, I still come out okay here. No, I come out. That's true. I'm just devastated. All right. So back to documentation. I also think the point you made about You've got the Rails website and you've got the like Rails guides and then you have the API docs. There are three different experiences. And I would go as far to say it's also unclear sometimes where to go to look for what you need. The API docs are good if you know the specific technical question to ask. The guides are good if you need a little guidance on how to do something or maybe a high level of why to do something. Yeah. And then the Rails marketing site just kind of feels like a marketing site, which is cool. And I'm glad it looks good, but I don't usually go to like rubyonrails.org or whatever that is. I'm usually Googling and bouncing between API and guides. So then the challenge is, for instance, bringing the beauty of the marketing side, the left side that I'm calling as if you're walking through the pages of a book and getting to the meteor content on the right. So on the left side of the website, you have the marketing and it looks really nice. If we could pull some of that styling over to the right side. And then I was just listening to your one of the last podcasts where you're saying like the content is good. I think experienced developers admit that the content is really good. So there's probably improvement there. But then there's also an audience of people coming from other frameworks and they don't need like the how to's of coding. They just need to know like, how does Rails handle it? But then also what I think the kind of the biggest gap is the new, the net new Rails users like me last year coming in for the first time. And we do have like the getting started tutorial now, but how to kind of make it a welcome journey for all three of those audiences. Like how do we get those people to the 
information as quick as possible, information that they're looking for. Mm. So it's a huge puzzle to work out and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. If you've listened to Remote Ruby more than two episodes, you'll know my undying love for Laravel. And I think their documentation is also kind of a good example of that because it's broken down into like concepts. And so if you know what you're looking for, oh, I need to know how to handle parameters, you can go find it and then you can skim through it and find what you need or it actually will walk you through. Here's why it does this. Here's how to do it. And so anything that improves that experience for Rails is a win for everyone. Beginners, advanced users, everyone. It's funny that in my first two or three weeks and still to this day, all two months in, the amount of times people have thrown Laravel at me over and over again, like they do it well, they do it well. So huge props. I, of course, I've been on their website and like looked at what they're doing and thought, okay, well, how much of this is relevant for Rails as well? So huge props to them for doing a job well done from the very beginning. I don't know, are they a new framework? When was that launched? It was the early 2010s. So okay, they've been around. Oh. Yeah. And obviously too, like they've had an evolution. Like they didn't just like necessarily start out with, I mean, it's definitely been, good documentation from the beginning, but like as the frameworks matured, so has the whole experience. I mean, from an outside perspective, they kind of run Laravel like a business. A hundred percent. Taylor kind of runs Laravel like he has all these like side businesses that are kind of built in almost the, the whole ecosystem. thing. Like Laravel, yeah. yeah, like it's the ecosystem. He has a monetary incentive to have really nice documentation so that people use all his products that power like the Laravel ecosystem. I mean, that's obviously a huge difference for Rails. And there was no backing foundation that could put some money into the thoughts that this needs, like building the team out, building the space and the time for people to really focus on that. So that's one of the things that we're here for now. Well, I'm very excited to see how that progresses. And I like hearing you say, we want to like make the documentation look as good as the marketing site, because just like the way that stuff looks. Moving on to the event coming up at the end of this year, Rails World. Could we maybe talk about kind of how that came to be and where we're kind of in the process of that everything is? So Rails Foundation, you've seen the messages. It was launched to support documentation efforts, events efforts, marketing efforts, and education efforts. So of course, events... I don't know if any of you have ever been involved with the organizing side of an event before, but you really need a year lead time. So when I got into this role, the first thing was, okay, where is this event going to be? Because we're already really late to get started. So Europe made the most sense. I'm here. It's an easy lift, but we didn't know where at first. So we had to kind of narrow down to London, Amsterdam, or Paris. So I went to London. I looked at all these amazing venues. I thought, okay, yeah, London, it's going to be in London. The first Rails World is going to be here in London. Great. I think I even told one or two people never do that because then I heard it back in other ways. And I'm like, no, we changed our mind. And it ended up being that London was way too expensive for the event that we had in mind. We're not making any money on this. We're definitely going to lose money on this. But the more money we lose on an event, like London would have been a huge loss. That means there's less money for other initiatives. So we really had to like stop and regroup and think, can we do this better, more cost-efficient somewhere else? And then, of course, Amsterdam. That makes the most sense. I'm here. I know the venues. I know the vendors. So I found a really beautiful venue, which we'll announce really soon. 
It's smack dab in the middle of town. It's exactly the vibe that we're looking for. And that was 1% of the work. So now the other 99% has to happen, like getting this website up and running, getting registration up and running, terms and conditions, sponsorship prospectus, getting in there, figuring out how many we can get on the CFP. It's like death by a thousand tiny little decisions that has to happen in an event. So that's where I'm at right now. That sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot of work. When you talk to people like Andy Crawl and Emily and Gemma from WNRB, and I was listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast and they were talking to the Blue Ridge Ruby guys. And like everybody's like, why am I doing this? This was a mistake. I never want to do this again, but it'll all pay off in the end. Yeah. So in this part of the process, are you kind of having to do all the work for planning Rails World? Do you have people like kind of helping with that? What does that look like? I'm doing all the strategy work right now, figuring out what is the program going to look like, putting a framework for the content committee when we finally reach out for speakers, because there will be a committee put together for that. If you don't have the strategy in mind, you don't know what to go to the vendors and you don't know where to ask for help, of course. So that's where I am right now. Like, what does it really look like? And then I can go to a production vendor and say, this is what we want done, an event manager to hopefully assist. The content committee say, this is the kind of content that we want. Let's go find the speakers now. So yeah, there will be definitely people helping. It's really hard to have like a one woman show for something like this. You said that the venue you found fits like the vibe that you're looking for. I'm curious, what is the vibe that you're looking for at Rails World? So I'm going to answer that question in reference to my last role. So specifically, not any events that we have in the industry in Rails right now. I'm not referring to them just to make that really clear. But at my last role, we had a North American conference and we had a European conference. And often the European conference was here in Amsterdam and it was in the old gas works. Really cool vibe, empty warehouse, like really raw and industrial and cool. And then when we would go to North America, because it's just different there, it's a different market and different venues, we had to go into conference hotels. The European event was always first and then the North American one was later. And I always had this drop in excitement because the conference hotel just comes with a different vibe. So coming into this role, my thing was, I would like to have that raw. You want to spend time, you're in there for 48 hours almost constantly. You want the place to be cool as well. And that adds to the experience. So that's kind of vibe that I was going for. Nice. Not to blast any events that happen in conference hotels because they're always successful at my last company as well. It is a thing. We used to put on a conference, a Ruby conference in Nashville. And the first year I tried to find like the most boutique venue I could. And I found one named Ruby and it was awesome. Logistically, it was a nightmare. So by the time like we got to the third one, we ended up at a hotel, like had conference space because their infrastructure for running events is pretty solid. And so, yeah, it is a tough thing to balance. Yeah. It's cool trying to find the less hotel conference style one. Yeah, you're right though. It comes with a cost. You have to bring everything in. You have to create the vibe. There's less creature comforts for people. So there's definitely pluses and minuses. And especially in North America, when you get to a certain size, you can't have this warehouse vibe anymore. You need to go to conference hotels, which makes sense. You know, Southeast Ruby wasn't even necessarily that big of a conference. But at 100 people... When you have someone on staff at a hotel whose entire job is like making these events run smoothly, it's like, okay, that's a pretty big sell. 
but yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about that because I've seen a lot of conferences. I've never been to Europe, but I've seen from afar a lot of the conferences. And you're right. They are all like cool venues and cool vibes. And I haven't really pieced that together. So that's yeah. exciting. The monument status of buildings is a big thing here. But on the same note, when I was in London looking at all these venues, there was one, it's like brand new. So they invited us for a site visit and it was just so raw, so raw. And then you have to look at it from a, is this inviting for people to have like porta potties outside that you need to line up in and like containers where you register in? So then I was like, okay, this is a little bit too far on the other side. We need a happy medium, which I think we found in Amsterdam. Do you want to go to a festival or a conference? I'll go to a festival. <laughs> exactly. Did you know that the number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money? There are so many ways for startups to lose money, but downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. But a monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which, my friend, helps you stay in business. And best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams, and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. Again, that's www.honeybadger.io. There was even like a light show. So they invited us to this. And like, it's a great venue if you want to party in London. So they invited us to see the place when like all the lights were dim with like lasers shooting around. So you couldn't see from one room to the other side of the room. I was like, is this the best kind of like introduction to the venue? I know where I need to go. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the name afterwards. I won't like <laughs> here. <laughs> So it's okay if you don't know this yet. I do want to ask, do you have any plans or ideas around? Is this going to be a single track, a multi-track conference? The space allows for two tracks and a bit of a hangout space, let's call it. They have one really cool room. It is up a flight of stairs. I have to see if it's accessible by a lift. I'm not sure yet. If it is, it would be a really cool workshop space. Or like a hidden hallway track, which is almost against the idea of what a hallway track should be. But I'm trying to see where a hallway track could fit in. Right now, there's not really space for it, which would be a little bit sad, but maybe in this like special hidden spot. The like speakeasies of hallway tracks. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Exactly. If you can find it, you're in. I love that. But I also really like the adventure of a speakeasy. That's really exciting. So what's next for the conference in terms of... Anything coming up announcement-wise or anything you're planning that's kind of really got your focus right now? The three big things, of course, are getting the registration up and running. And that has a lot to do with putting the right team together. So we just announced that we're forming a little bit of a mentorship training thing with a junior developer and an experienced mentor. That's kind of a big focus because, of course, getting the word out is really important. And then at the same time, launching the CFP and then also figuring out what it will look like for sponsors on site because sponsors are such a big part of the vibe. They can bring a lot and figuring out what space we have and what we can offer sponsors. That's cool. And before I ask my next question, I want to stop and say, not only was it really well received, I just want to say how awesome it is that I saw the Rails Foundation say, 
we want a junior developer to help us build this site because so often we talk and we talk about wanting to get junior developers in Ruby and Rails and the opportunities are so few. So seeing that coming from the Rails Foundation, it was just awesome. So kudos and thank you for that. Thank you. Do you know, it's not explicitly one of the things that the foundation was set up to do, you know, provide more opportunities for junior devs. But it's hard to come into this community and not see that conversation happening over and over again and that desire. So really kind of the kudos goes back to everyone who is doing the initiatives that I was able to be inspired from. For instance, Beginner Bounties and Dave Paola's Agency of Learning and Andy Kroll did the same thing. He stole my thunder. I had the idea and he announced it just (laughs) darn it. (laughs) But like the more opportunity, the better. So I think within the pillars, we're going to try to do that as much as possible. Make the opportunity for juniors as well. I love that. And yeah, even though like it's not necessarily one of the explicit goals of the foundation, it is kind of just an example of here's a way to involve juniors. And I think it's awesome. So for Rails World, will there be sponsorship opportunities outside of sponsoring the Rails Foundation? Will there be opportunities just to sponsor the event itself? Yeah. So those are two different ways to contribute to the foundation. And the members will all have a presence on site. We're still trying to figure out what that looks like and in what capacity. And then we'll also have a prospectus out for companies who aren't involved in the foundation in any other way, but want to meet the community on site. So it's kind of two different. One is related and has both. And then the other is just the event itself. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you go to conferences, you see monitoring companies, things like that, who want to sponsor the event, have interaction with the attendees. But maybe the Rails Foundation isn't the best use of their sponsorship. So that's a good way to kind of meet both. And then... Question about the Rails Foundation. So I know it's a company, it's mostly been company sponsoring. And I see like, feels like every week, every day, new companies coming on, yeah. which is cool. Are there any plans for like any type of like individual sponsorships or will it mostly stay kind of at a company level? Only at the company level. I can't imagine that we would be in a position, hopefully we will never be in a position that we would have to ask that. And I actually have to double check if we're even allowed to ask for individual contributions, that might be the case that we're not allowed to. But it's been really, really cool, the amount of people who've reached out, the amount of companies who've reached out with interest in joining the foundation. So today we announced the third one, the third contributing member, AppSignal here in the Netherlands. And then there's a couple more that we are having these conversations. Is this the right fit for you? I'm always willing to have that conversation. I'm not trying to push, join us, join us, join us. Right. You want to support the mission? Can we support you in any way? Then this is a good match. But for a lot of smaller companies, it's maybe a big investment. So along those same lines, if you have people listening today or just individual developers who want to support the Rails Foundation, maybe even not monetarily, what can individuals do to help with the foundation, if anything? I've had a lot of people reaching out saying, like, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. But it's just like what I said for the event. Until I know what the strategy is, I don't know how you can help. And we're still in that kind of strategizing phase. So it's hard to say. Eventually, we're going to need people to review documentation, give honest feedback, people to write the documentation, possibly on-site event support. We're going to need speakers, of course, like the CFP that's coming out. So I think the best thing now to help the Rails Foundation is just to support us vocally and amplify the messages that we're sending out. 
and just know that we're doing our best to try to get things up and running as much as possible, as quick as possible. Well, I mean, two months in, having a big conference coming up in October, I don't know that it gets much quicker than that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so we've covered documentation. We've covered Rails World. What are some other things on your plate around Rails Foundation, even if it's kind of just still in discovery or just an idea that you want to share about the Rails Foundation? Yeah. So I think in each of these pillars, there's one big initiative that are the obvious wins for like, for instance, in events, the first thing is let's get a conference up and running with documentation. Let's improve the documentation. So we have one big project in each of these pillars. And then when those are up and running and the low hanging fruits are plucked, then we can dive deeper into what each of these pillars mean in the long term, like maintaining the documentation. How do we do that every time that there's a new release? back to all of the tutorials and making sure that it's fresh. Where else are we going with the events? So then I think the one that I don't have fleshed out the most right now is education and what that looks like, because it could go in a lot of ways. For instance, it could be a curriculum. This is the one I'm most excited about, that we approach boot camps, universities, et cetera. It could be standardized certification, that sort of thing, like so that you can have some sort of badge that says, I do know this on certain levels. So that one, I'm not quite sure. And it's a much longer term goal. And then the marketing is really, I think what I would like to do is use cases of companies of all sizes and exactly how they use Rails in their business so that anybody coming into that left-hand marketing side of the website can say like, okay, I can start a business with one person like this company and read all about it. And eventually I can scale up this company and all these use cases. So that's kind of my idea for the marketing and also improving SEO by certain website changes. And when there's a big new version, what does that campaign look like? We can look at it from a marketing perspective and like, how are we spreading the word on this? And I haven't really gotten started with that yet. There's still a lot of work to be done there, improving our social media, for instance. So we have a lot of ideas for all the other ones that I'm hoping to like have focus for soon. Yeah. Those all sound exciting and there's tons of opportunity there. And so it sounds like there's <laughs> just a massive amount of work to be done. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> but it's exciting. I didn't doubt it though. Yeah. It's, I don't know how much you all love your work. I think you all like your work quite a lot. But if you're excited to come into work every day and then you're excited to solve all these problems, then I think you're in a good spot. And that's what it feels like right now. My perception of others in the Ruby community is that a lot of people who use Ruby on Rails are passionate about Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And so I think you also have a lot of people, when you say like doing case studies, you'll probably have more people volunteering to do case studies on their application than like you'll be able to use. And a cool thing I was thinking about when you're saying that is like with Ruby on Rails, there's a lot of people who stick to like the Rails way of doing things. And then there's a lot of companies who use Rails in a very specific way that might make it interesting use case for someone looking to adopt Rails, but they have concerns about X part of Rails. It's like, oh, well, we use Rails without that and we have the successful business. So yeah, there's just, like I said, all kinds of opportunity and it's exciting. There's a lot of stories to tell. And these first two months of being in this role, so many people so far who just want to like me and, and I want to hear their story. They just want to know what the Rails Foundation is doing. Chris, you were on day two. You were one of the first people to reach out to say like, hi, I'm 
I'm involved in some stuff. Let's talk. Let's see how we can work together. And it's maybe a conversation we should continue later. But it's been constantly that from day one, day two. And it's been really interesting hearing like what people are doing, not just their personal stories, their business stories, their use cases, their history with Rails that I don't have, the context. It's great. Everybody has been so forthcoming and friendly and welcoming. And it's felt really good. I think that's a true mark of the community right there. I only hope that like that's just the vibe the rest of the way. Because <laughs> that's the way, yeah. We'll ex- I mean, that's been my experience. I joined Rails in 2012, and so many of my friendships, they're like more than professional relationships, come from the community. And so it's always been, for the most part, for me, very welcoming and fun. We three met at a conference, or I met them at a Rails conference. Oh, cool. When so, was that? That was in Pittsburgh in 2018. No. No, yes, it was no, Minneapolis no. 2019. Minneapolis 2019. Yeah. So, oh, and I met. Here you are doing this. Like, yeah. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. So and Chris and I met a Rails conference. Yeah. He didn't even attend. So yeah. he just came to meet up. You emailed me and you were going to the one in Kansas City, whatever year that was. It's a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, just so many stories like that. In person is important. Yeah, really important. Last night, I was looking at all the Ruby conferences and Rails conferences and seeing like how many there are in the world. And I came across Rails Camp. Yeah. Well, that sounds like such a cool, uncomp idea. If only I could make it to Hawaii this year. Right? Yeah. When I saw Hawaii, I was like, maybe I should change my plans for the year. Well, thank you for taking the time to come share with us what's going on in the Rails Foundation, what's coming in the Rails Foundation. Anything else we didn't cover that you want to talk about? No, I think that covers it. Eventually, there's going to be more to talk about. So thank you for letting me talk about everything that I've been working on this first two months. So it feels like it's been fast and furious, but there's still so much that we want to do. So I'll have more soon. Well, we look forward to chatting then. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. Appreciate it. It was yeah. great to meet you. Chris, thanks for ruining my morning. But I'm going to 30 <laughs> seconds too soon. Thanks, for, thanks for you're being welcome. a man of your word, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for being a little bit of a zombie this morning. Traveling yesterday was like 26 hours straight of just being awake and flying from Sicily to was St. It? Louis. It was exhausting. So I'm a while little tired this morning. While you were there? Did you white lotus while you were there? We stopped in that hotel, but they would only let us go into the courtyard area inside for a drink. And it was like, there's no view of the water from there or anything. So we like, we stopped in and didn't do anything there. But yeah, that was like our last two days in Termina. It was fun. I had way too much food. (laughs) I was just in Rome and I had a plan. I'm just going to walk and I'm going to eat. And I'm going to walk and I'm going to eat. Like, that's all I wanted to do. Uh I actually couldn't fit enough eating in because when you're eating pasta like that, I disappoint myself. (laughs) So we went on a trip that was a food tour of Sicily by a chef that's local here in St. Louis. He organized it. And so like every day was we do something in the morning and then have a light lunch, which was (laughs) like five courses. And it was always paired with like wine tasting. So I think Every person pretty much drank an entire bottle of wine every day of the trip because at lunch we had way too much food. And then at dinner, it was like seven courses every time. And 
It was all amazing food, but oh my gosh. I don't want to drink wine for another three months. I don't really want to eat for another three months. I'm just like stuffed. It so was what hard. you're saying, you want everyone who's listening to bring you a bottle of wine to RailsCon <laughs> next week. <laughs> yes. That is how you can pay, pay can Chris back for, pay for all, all his hard work. Is <laughs> The chef said one time he took a bottle of wine home in his suitcase but he checked the bag and it exploded <laughs> and oh, yeah. his bag on the way home. And I was like, oh, not good. So we'll have to drink that. If you bring any, we'll just have to drink them at RailsConf. During the conference. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I'll just drink one during my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again cool. for joining us and we'll catch up next week. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yes, thanks for joining us. Bye.